welcome to the Theology Podcast. We're really pleased to have you with us for a uh, podcast with a live studio audience. The studio audience, say hello. Hello. All right. Yes, there are other people here than just Glenn and Tom and me this week. But uh, uh, there is even an, uh, a special guest that we have. We're going to ha- allow him in- to introduce himself in just a moment. But uh, we're, we are podcasting today from Wooden Tap in Vernon, Connecticut. And uh, we're kind of doing our tour of venues. We're kind of here and there and everywhere. And uh, we're in the back room here, and uh, uh, we're very pleased that Wooden Tap has uh, made this space available to us. But anyway, uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, get things rolling? Uh, uh, why, don't, why don't we begin with you, Glenn? And then we're going to actually come back to you in a, in a minute to, so you can give us like an update on the life and fabulous adventures of Glenn, Glenn Sunshine. Sunshine. Fabulous adventures. <laughs> <laughs> There's a book in there. I, 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 frankly, I'd be really interested in hearing about that, too. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, my name is Glenn Sunshine. I'm a professor of European history at Central Connecticut State University and senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Okay, over to you, Tom. I'm Thomas Price, uh, systematic theologian, Christian ethicist, and teach both at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I'm uh, C.R. Wiley, the pastor, the senior pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester, and I've written a bunch of stuff, and I used to teach philosophy. But anyway, we've got a special guest, and uh, rather than steal his thunder, I'm going to let you, Ken, introduce yourself and tell us whatever you want to tell us about yourself. All right. Well, when people say, what do you do, I say, about what? <laughs> They're always trying to size you up, discern. Right, right, right. Does this person have a person have enough clout? Are they worth the investment? Or I'll move on. <laughs> so I pull that stuff. No, I'm not, I usually say I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and mentor. And, and then Ken Boa. Ken Boa, yeah. <laughs> yep. Like the, yep. sna- the snake man. Some people call me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they think they're being very original when they that's use a metaphor about being right. constricted and so forth. Oh, gee, I never heard that one before. Right, right, right. Welcome wow. to my oh, life. Region. Yeah, precisely so. But that's all right, because the name wasn't Boa at all. It was Bua, B-U-A. It's an Albanian name. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then when I spoke in Albania, I have to say this, is, it was a most amusing experience. About two years ago, I found out that, I, that my ancestors, Francesco Bua, who came over, of course, at Ellis Island, they were just happy to be there. Right, right. You want to call it Bua? Uh, Boa? Fine. Uh, they, were just, they were just glad to be here. <laughs> and so, but I found out that this is apparently a specific uh, uh, family name that's in that, a specific re- region of Albania, that um, is almost certainly this same family, and it's and so it goes back to Jinbua Shpata. And they, when they heard Bua, Jinbua Shpata, oh, he's one of their folk heroes. Wow, he was a prince who died. He was a, a kind of a despot who delivered them from the Ottomans in 1399. Wow, wow. and so it was a. But you have a Macedonian blood, so it's really actually derivative from Greece. So it's hmm. a kind of an interesting... Alexander the Great and all Greece, that. All of, the, all of hmm. that, exactly. Well, Philip actually, of Macedon, yeah. De- delivering from the Ottomans actually sounds more like Vlad Tepish, but that's... Yeah, but he was a minor prince. Ah. <laughs> he learned everything he knew from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely so. Because he's not their biggest hero. There's another one that uh, occupies ah. that. But the very fact that it created a credibility... Actually, that we had turned one of my books... Um, 20 compelling evidences that God exists into uh, into in Albanian, and oh, yeah. so they nice. we handed those out and so forth. And when they drive so, so the next edition of that, I'm going to put B U A. Yeah, because yeah. that's now, the right now, name. Now, when I think about Albania, I think about a couple of things. Mother yeah. Teresa, for one. Yes, you do. And then the yeah. other is 
Uh, wasn't Albania considered the most atheistic country? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, and so it was uh, a remarkable change that took place uh, uh, actually since the demi demise of, the, of that, um, uh, that tyranny. And, yeah. and yeah. you see all the evidences of that because the underground areas where they were uh, actually the Inquisition rooms and so forth. Wow. And everyone was required effectively to essentially speak about their neighbor. There was no sense of trust or anything of that sort. Yeah. It was a horrendous environment kind of like one. Twitter something of that nature yeah, yeah. <laughs> increasingly and this is this is yeah. what yeah, there's a there's a definite danger to these to the media yeah. for this very yeah. reason, the patrollers and so forth and right. flamers. But the fact is that um, uh, going back to these these not these nonsensical statements, I, 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 as a as a teacher, I. Um, that creates an embeddedness um, with Reflections Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I also have another organization that we recently started called Omnibus Media Ministries. Mm -hmm. And its purpose is the digital distribution, using the Gutenberg of our time, the Internet, yeah, effectively yeah. for digitally distributing not just the audio but also the visual as well as the video as well as the text resources and mm -hmm. finding ways of creating and app development as well and other things okay. in curriculum mm -hmm. and that sort of a thing. So we're work on that and then the reflections ministries is just my kind of my, my umbrella under which I operate and then I have a Trinity House Publishers is my uh, hmm. as, is, a, is a private corporation that we use for the resources a number of these others and we're now put those things into place mm -hmm. so I enjoy it immensely so the writing this the, the, so the teaching is local the when I call it writing well it's really more than it's creating mm -hmm. I, I, I love to create whatever it is and yeah. then the um, the speaking would be material that would be outside the Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. For example, what I'll be doing here, yeah. and then uh, finally the um, the mentoring. I, that, I I love each of these components because I'm a I'm an academic, but I'm a people person. I'm very relational, and very intensely so, and so I, I form these uh, rich uh, rich reticulated relationships with people around the country. So I do a good deal of mentoring. Uh, and both uh, group context and also individual context. So I have four weekly studies that I do, uh, and we have we post four new videos every week on various on, on all four different topics wow. every week. And um, that'll keep you busy. <laughs> yeah, that's just a sidebar. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But that, that, too, generates resources, as you yeah, can well yeah. imagine. Right now, I'm taking my Wednesday morning men's group, which is about 100 men. Um, okay. And uh, I'm taking them through the 365 key chapters of the Bible. Okay. And it's based upon my handbook to Scripture, where I selected those. But I decided... Let's do it old and New Testament. Let's alternate the week because it's a seven and a half year journey. Yeah. You do the math. Yeah. You have 365 right. chapters. Right. Even if you're meeting 50 weeks, it's a big journey. So we're going back and forth. So oh, I just nice. did Exodus 11, and now I'm going to be John doing next Wednesday, John 21, back and forth. Great. So that creates resources. So <laughs> I love to generate those those kind of. And I, I suppose in the in the most broadest sense, I'm a generalist. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's another reason why I didn't go into full time academia, though I am an adjunct faculty with a number of seminaries and graduate schools right, right. Uh, and I like that yeah. but um, I'm too much of a generalist and so I don't want to be a specialist right. and so then I, I'm also a synthesizer and then I translate in other words you're interested in wisdom wisdom's your key which is something maybe 
academia is not. I generally know. <laughs> it, it actually reminds me about a student who, who actually sued Columbia University because the prospectus said that they will instruct the students in wisdom. They'll give them, I didn't get any wisdom here. I doubt that he got any, any, re, any uh, judgment for it, but the, the point is I got yeah. no wisdom. And that's yeah. the moving, the moving uh, you know, we're moving from that whole idea of, of moving from uh, wisdom to knowledge and from knowledge to information that the, that T.S. Eliot, the, yeah. the cycles of man... We can blame and, the course, Germans for all We can of do that. all of that. Yeah. All of that. It's so your now, fault. Yeah. Now, yeah, so we, you, everyone needs a whipping boy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're in town because of an event. We've yes. got something uh, coming a, up tomorrow. A very special event yeah. because, it, as a matter of fact, my wife and I have been discussing this very process about what um, exterior things I take on. And I've been... I'm seeking to be very, very fussy about what I take on. <laughs> so I would not have done this except for the, the rich relationship I have with my my friend Glenn Sunshine. It's and his ordination tomorrow. There you go. Yeah, yeah, so it's a big day for Glenn, and we're and I'll be there tomorrow, and my wife will be there. Are you gonna be able to make it time? What, what time? Four o'clock. Okay. Yeah, so I will do my best. Yeah, at uh, at First Church, right down with Weathersfield. Okay. Now, First Church, of course, is a historic church in our in our region. Uh, you know, it's where you know Jonathan Edwards would hang out and uh, you know do his his uh, homework. We're in the new building that was put up in 1761. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's the new that's building. building. <laughs> yeah, he was in the old building. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're really glad to have you, Ken, and we're going to learn a little more about uh, you know a, a book that you have just seen published with InterVarsity. But in the meantime, before we get to that, we need a little update on your latest adventure, Glenn. You you were you and Lynn. I, did Lynn? Did you go? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Oh, you bet. <laughs> so, okay. so, Not to be left out of that. Well, so, so Glenn's wife is, I just tried to get, so I get it for our so, audience. To. So for those of you who have been um, following the podcast a while ago, we had a, a man named Francis Jabba in, and uh, he's from Sierra Leone, and we just got back from a trip to Sierra Leone um, where there were a number of important things that happened. Um, on a personal level, my daughter got engaged there to wow. a Sierra Leonean pastor. Congratulations. But we also had a chance to see something of the... Well, I've, I've been there once before. Uh, I saw a number of things that I hadn't quite encountered before on, on this trip. There are things that I didn't see last time. Um, on my end, I was doing some lecturing at a college in, in both in Sierra Leone. Um, but there was also, we also did a lot of work with um, the group that, that I was there, uh, that was uh, with me there. I uh, did a lot of work with some of the poorer communities. Okay. Um, they were doing food distribution, medical, and things like that. And without going into details, let me just say that, you know, we make jokes about first world problems. Yeah, right. They're not a joke. Right. You know, when you actually see mm -hmm. what real poverty looks like. Mm -hmm. right, right. And yet, the interesting thing is, my general impression of the Sierra Leoneans is that they're happier than the average American. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, they don't, they're not suffering from the levels of depression, suicide, and things like that that we are. Mm -hmm. yeah. They are completely lacking in medical care. There are people who are getting one meal a week, mm. you know, things like that. Wow. But in general, what they lack in they're, they may be poor in stuff, 
but they're rich in relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's really the secret. That's really the key mm-hmm. that that we're missing that they've got. Right, right. It's, it's, it's interesting you say that. Uh, just on that note, and I don't want to go off on this topic, but uh, I remember a friend, Swiss friend of mine, uh, married someone from our uh, from Brazil, and uh, visited the, her family um, during Christmas holidays. And he said the most profound thing was watching the children who were picking for food in the trash heaps singing mm. Christmas carols with mm. full joy. Wow, mm-hmm. oh, that would they had not had had, had no gifts, right. not even food, mm-hmm. but right. they <clears throat> understood something in the profound yeah. spirituality of, of yeah. knowing God. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And well, this one, one other thing that. I definitely need to announce because otherwise I am going to hear from it from a certain person on my left and another person toward my right. Um, and that's that we're um, one of the uh, other things that's coming up is I'm doing a historical tour in Ireland focusing on yeah. ancient and medieval Ireland. Um, yeah, you've done that before. I've right? done that before. Um, for people who don't know this, Irish Christianity is <coughs> absolutely critical to the entire formation of Europe. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really incredibly profound stuff that happened in Ireland in the early Middle Ages. Right. And we'll be talking about a lot of that. We'll be going to a lot of the sites, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested, go to my website, which is esquareinch.org. That's E-S-Q-U-A-R-E-I-N-C-H.org. It's short for Every Square Inch Ministries. And there's a page there on the Ireland tour. You can go check that out. But do act quickly because the travel agent needs to yeah. uh, get no, get things nailed down. Yeah, right. And the dates are July 9th through the 19th. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's important. Jul- July 9th. Specificity. <laughs> July, 9th, July 9th to 19. <laughs> yeah. That information is also on the website. Yes, but they want to know. They want to know even if it's even possible. That's right. Inquiring minds. They want to know. Good, you've done that. I'm glad. That's great stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, this is kind of a you know a nice segue, particularly your comments about suffering in Sierra Leone, to your book, latest book, Ken. And I've got it right in front of me here. It uh, looks uh, really fascinating. It's got an image of a tree. I'm, I'm assuming that's the tree of life. Uh, it's a tree of plenitude, um, okay. of, of abundance. And the imagery, isn't it intriguing? It would have 12 kinds of fruit bearing its, yes, its, right. fruit, its, its fruit every season. And then the river of life, and it's but on both banks. And so yes. there's wonderful imagery there where there's a fecundity, a flourishing, a beauty, um, something that's an ongoing resonance. And by the way, it reminds me of a new technique of grafting where there's, for example, one cherry one tree that has 40 fruit really yeah it's the new techniques and so it's an exquisite thing to behold huh. it's almost as if it's this a pluripotency yeah, right, that you right. can see where you have this rootstock and then you're capable of grafting other things and the beautiful image of being grafted in christ and right, then being right. embedded in that so there's a there's a richness that embeds and connects both the old and the new testaments with the 12 tribes with the 12 fruit right. and the 12 trees and so these and glenn uh, and i love to compare uh, uh, the uh first and, uh, and the first two chapters of Scripture with the last two because there's obvious yeah. profound sure. connections between the two. And so we're referring, of course, to the end of Revelation from, from Precisely here. so. Yeah, so yeah. here you're bookending the two. So essentially what you're looking at is this tree of life. But in, to describe the cover, 
it was a, it was well done. You know, an author when you when I use a commercial publisher, um, other than my own Trinity House publishers. So I, you know, I, I've done it with almost all the commercial. That's odd. I've, I've collected <laughs> them all now. There's only I can't think of any I, I haven't used. Um, but that said. I can't control the the title. Yeah, you have no say. I can't control the cover. I can make my suggestions, but it won't. It's 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 the same as the placebo effect when you push a button to cross the street on a traffic, and of course it doesn't do a thing. It, the light will, will change when it chooses to. It gives you the illusion of intentionality and of participation. And so there's a placebo. That, at any rate, the um, so the, to describe the thing, there's a framed uh, tree in the center of the of the of the book. And that frame, it's interesting, has branches, but those are grayed, whereas the branches outside are actually black. Yeah. So there's a transitional dynamic, and the frame seems to represent the actual earthbound gotcha. sojourn, you see, gotcha. because my Shadowlands. The, the Shadowlands. And so right. here we are, uh, I like to call this a soul-forming world. Right. We well, are here for, we are eternal beings having this earthbound embodied experience in, in preparation for our eternity in the Father's house. So for our listeners who don't have the, the, uh, the privilege of holding the book like I'm holding it right now, the title of the book is Shaped by Suffering, How Temporary Hardships Prepare Us for Our Eternal Home. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a co-writer, or co-author, Jenny Abel. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't we get into this? Why don't, if you could, I think you've already get, gotten into it a bit. A bit, yeah. 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 I could contextualize it because it was not anticipated that this would be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Even, in fact, that there would be two books. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I, I did a sequence, a series uh, of teachings on the temporal versus the eternal. The whole idea of what I call paradigm of spirituality, which is one of the, of the 12 facets in my book, Conform to His Image, which is being, uh, the second edition is going to be done, coming out this year. But in, in, in paradigm spirituality, the, the whole idea of the eternal and the, uh, paradigm versus the temporal, mm-hmm. I say that the world will define us by default. Do nothing. It'll define you. Mm-hmm. The word will only define you by discipline. So you will not actually move into that. It's, you, you have to go against the current. So any, I like to say any dead fish can float downstream. Right. You've got to be alive to go against the current. And to do so, then, you have to have a different vision, a different uh, ethos. But it has to be intentional. It cannot be just m- merely passive. Mm-hmm. So the concept here is through uh, inaction, then. It's like a, a downward escalator. The world is very much like, to use that metaphor, and most of us, when we were kids, went up down escalators to yeah, see right. at a mall, how right. fast oh, could you yeah. do it. Sure, but you sure. well know that you can't stop. At the moment you stop, there's no, there's no neutrality. You're going down. Yeah, right. We can't so, even mention the things that we did. We, we can't even mention <laughs> some, some of those things that you did. That's yeah. right. That's right. So you go, yeah. But you have these three. So you have these three downward for, forces: the world, the devil, and the, the world of flesh and the devil. These downward pulls that would tether us to this world and w- cause us to uh, walk around like uh, tethered to the planet, like turkeys. When instead we're invited to take the thermals of the spirit and go against the uh, the, the aerodynamics of the spirit that transcends the downward pull of gravity even though the gravity is still there the aerodynamics is a higher principle that it, it ushers us so up like, into the so like hawks into or the eagles. Yeah, like eagles they ride the thermal they're not flapping their wings so right. by the way that's the, for sparrows that's for sparrows let them handle it yeah, <laughs> let, let them flop although the sparrows do these these murmurations that are very impressive murmurations of sparrows those are starlings though but that's another matter um, <laughs> they're, they're organic w- works of art but that's another discussion <laughs> but the idea of <coughs> seeing that there is indeed a telos, an end, a purpose, that, yeah, there, that yeah. you are in this world, you're embedded in this world, and you, as I say, are in a soul-forming world. This is not a neutral place. 
And so... Well, let's stop there. Okay. Let's stop there. The, that phrase, soul-forming uh -huh. yeah. So what I've heard from, from just basically the framework in which, that you've just outlined or, or, or created for us, either the world will form your soul by its sort of the inertia, the uh, world, the flesh, and the right. devil. Let it do nothing and it'll, it'll, it'll do it by it'll, default. And it'll form you. Or yes. this other, through, through discipline... <laughs> and intentionality. Intentionality. Uh-huh. And, and, is, and so it, play that out a little bit. I imagine you do that in the book. I do. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I do that more, though, in the first, because it turns out, just to fr briefly contextualize, because it makes more sense if I do, yeah. the first in the series um, was called Rewriting Your Broken Story. And the question that you have to ask is, how do you fix a broken story? There's not one of us who doesn't have one. Right. Every one of right. us has dashed hopes and dreams yeah. and bitterness and disappointment and misconstruals and setbacks and pain and adversities that didn't make any sense and, and even now are, can't not seem to make sense. But then the subtitle is and the question is the it's the power of an eternal perspective the only mm. way I know to fix a broken story is to embed our little story in the greatest story ever told mm. and it's, a, it's, it's like Dante called his work Comedia we mm -hmm. call it the divine comedy but it was a comedy because it ended well mm -hmm. and so we're immersed in this cosmic story that's embedded where, whereby it's framed it's bookended by creation and the, the new consummation of all things instead of the gospel that most people minds have a mindset of redemption of fallen redemption it's not big enough the yes. point of the fall and redemption is to now empower us to become the people that he always intended us to be. That's where the journey begins. I'm going to slow yeah. you down real quick okay. just for a minute. I, because I noticed that I'm a, a teacher of theology, and I've noticed that in the trends, especially in the evangelical world, that this worldly and the redemption conceived in very this worldly terms is sort of increasingly replace the eternal vision, that's, that's the classical Christian, the beatific vision, the ordering of our loves towards that right. which we were formed to know. I think that's right. And I've been increasingly teaching my students that very thing. I, I often call it sort of the recovery of proper Christian transcendence, but yes. you could call it very similar the way you're putting it. But it's the way in which the, the eternal is the pearl of great price. God as God is the pearl of there great price. That's right. We often think, I mean, you think of things, seek first the kingdom of God and the wealth of God's righteousness. It's the, it's, there's something above the gospel. It's the God of the gospel. That's right. That's right. And see, most people lose it right there. And I actually had a comment from a pastor in a class I just started. He said, if we started to teach that, we probably would lose half our churches. I fear so. You so, already, yep. you already <laughs> have lost them. <laughs> <laughs> no, the people who are in the pews are There's not much to lose already. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. So, so you could, you could do worse by <laughs> making an adjustment. Yeah. Um, Tom, Tom may be letting you continue from here, but I'm not. <laughs> okay. So, okay. so it, it, something just occurred to me. You know, we have the the, the idea of the four chapter gospel: creation, fall, redemption, sure. restoration, sure. and new creation. Yeah. Most evangelicals have a two chapter gospel. They just have the two chapters in that's the middle: right, the fall, redemption. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's why you have this trend in evangelicalism that says that salvation is really just about this world? You know, it's it's it, you know, best life lo now yeah. losing losing the idea of new creation, losing the idea of of the transcendent, mm -hmm. because we don't have creation at the beginning, we don't have new creation at That's the correct. end. Yep. Losing transcendence means salvation is really from yes. this world. And you don't have those embedded metaphors and those traditioning influences that are now, there's a discontinuity. So, that, And then the idea of Taylor's idea of the buffered self, and so that we're in the imminent frame. And so we don't have a transcendence frame. We've cut ourselves off in the realm of wonder and, and uh, uh, amazement. So the, uh, the whole idea, if... Um, 
uh, I'm thinking about William Blake. If the if 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 the windows of heaven could be actually opened, that people then would see all things as it were ablaze with transcendence, and uh, the doors of heaven rather that doors of perception, and that and of course then the doors of perception was used by Aldous Huxley for the name of his book, which then was used by Jim Morrison to for the <laughs> name the the doors the band. Ah. Trivial trivial pursuit. I didn't know that. But that's, that's good. where it came from. But this, the idea here of this this doors of perception, we are now in a windowless world because mm. we've closed the windows of transcendence and so we're in the imminent frame and it's not a, a flourishing world at all. You've created a construct in which it becomes this the quest for the uh, for the self and for agencies right. and that they're amplified by the fact that we now have more uh, luxuries, more op- options, more opportunities than kings even could conceive of a, a hundred years ago. So, and as a consequence, we're so tethered to this world, it's very difficult for us to move right. away. And then so, that's amplified as well by the digital dynamics. That's another uh, totally right. different thing. So we have the, we're kind of the, the crude, you know, uh, your best life now kind of, yeah. you know, evangelical hucksterism yeah. kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. And then or the, social the, justice. But that's what I was going to get be, at. The, the, the same the, could be done there. But, mm-hmm. but I actually think it is. So would you have a more sophisticated version, sure. which is, that's what we want the best life now for all of us. For all of us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right, that's right. We don't know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> it will we'll kill you yeah. over if you have a different interpretation. <laughs> but, you know. Your best life is, but we really, we really love you. Yeah, um, that's right. Your best that's life right. is getting in the way of my best life. Yeah. You must we love die. you, man. You, you must hate die. you. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, only one, there's only one who's going to remain on this and the end of this thing. So the, fa- yeah. the fact is that, um, well, because you have all these options, you see, mm-hmm. then options become meaningless. Uh, mm-hmm. The more options you have, the more the less important each choice becomes. So Christianity then becomes construed as just another possibility, another option, if you like that. And so there's a loss of the transcendentals anyway, the very fact that yeah. uh, there's the loss of, of truth, goodness, and beauty. By the way, this is why I teach literature and film, because when I do that, I, 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 a great story, a story well told, points beyond itself to the greatest story ever told. And so I, I, t- I teach film and literature with this in mind. Mm-hmm. The story, the power of narrative, because it, if, if it's well-crafted, it will do that. Well, going back to this, I'm going to re- reel this back in. The, the power of a broken story, then, uh, it, the power of an eternal perspective, how do you rewrite a broken story? Well, that led me into another thought, then. If, if an eternal perspective is the only way in which we can embed and grasp our true, our true journey in this uh, earthbound world, that we are actually seeing that our life has a telos, it has an end, it has a purpose, in spite of our foli- foolishness, God will redeem what he allows. And that becomes... No, that, that's a great phrase, God will redeem what yes, he allows. Yes, that's right. So here's how I put it. We are no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but rather by the joy of our unbounded future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then you begin to realize, ah, this life then, therefore I should therefore assume. But before I get to that, the second book then was uh, called um, uh, The uh, Life in the Presence of God. Because the, if, if, if it's important to have an eternal perspective, how do you cultivate it? And even if you get a person to have an encounter with Scripture on a a daily basis, how few do. Even so, what do they do the rest of the day? And so I began to realize this whole thing about the practice of his presence, which everybody loves to talk about Brother Lawrence, but no one actually does it and takes it seriously. But actually you can demonstrate that's the normal spiritual perspective, that you abide in Christ, you walk by the Spirit, you set your mind to things above, you you, uh, rejoice always, you pray without ceasing and everything, give thanks, and whatever you do in word or deed, give it all in the name of the Lord. That's rather encompassing. And so how, what practices then can we do to habituate his presence throughout the earthbound journey 
experience so that everything then, the, the secular becomes spiritual because of focus of our hearts to the eternal. So that's what that's about. And then I have a number of practices. We even created an app called Presence that, that has the, that, and, a, and a guide to practicing well, I'm God's I'm going to slow you down again. Okay. Get a lot of ideas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to bring it up to the third okay, book. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to get to there. Yeah. Okay, so, before, yeah. but I, so I just contextualized the first two books, how we got to this one. But also. with that one, you mentioned just the fact of, uh, um, and, I, and I, I really think See, this is... Oh yeah, he, he wanted another. Another uh, root beer. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Um, talking about the second book, at this point, um, one of the things you do notice, I, and I would argue, I've been arguing this with my my students this term, is that when you have the eternal in the right place, that starts to radically shift what it means in terms of, I mean, what the old <coughs> tradition would call true religion. It's the way in which we order our loves and lives, okay. appetites, in light of that. So Colossians, which you referenced, that yes. consider now your reality. You're in Christ. That's right. Seated with Christ that's in the heavens. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's, who we are. that's the reality that's right. structure. Yeah. Because of that put off, put on. Yes, that's so right. So there there's a form and shape to that. That's right. And that is what we know as the Christian life. It's not legalism. It's, it's true liberality. It's that's the right. form of what it means to live in yes. the presence of the eternal. Precisely. So it's, it's, become, it's the power to become who you were intended to be. Okay. So essentially we are, we are, being, we're, we are new beings, but we're becomers. Yeah. So insofar as we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we are new beings. But at the same time, we're becomers. And yeah. so our mission in this planet then is effectively to become in our practice who we already are in our position. So there's yeah. a, a, a dynamic of growth and, and development yeah. into becoming more and more Christ-like. But here's the beauty of this. No two of us will re- reflect and reflect the glory of Christ in the same way because each of us is unique and so the prism of our personality will reflect and refract that in a way that no one else can do that's the stuff of heaven but the point is that he wishes you he wants to live his life in you and through you as you and that is the the, the genius of this in that this uh, coherence, this mutuality of so it's that, not of like that obliteration, not like at an all. Eastern idea. It's not an immer- It's not an absorption. It's an immersion. And on the horizontal plane, there is actually the first fruits of the kingdom, because the byproduct of that communion is the fruit of the spirit. manifestation in yeah. this world. In fact, yeah. that's the we're we're going to be having a uh, our, our next reflections ministries conference um, in May, and it's going to be the fruit of the spirit in you. Hmm. Will it be down in Atlanta? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's outside of Atlanta. It's Callaway Gardens uh, Spa and uh, this, this, the Spa and Gardens at Callaway. Lovely place. But mm-hmm. that's when I had this incredible epiphany when I, at, the, <laughs> at the Butterfly House when I discovered for the first time that with the, with the, when the caterpillars go into a, um, and, and form the, uh, the chrysalis, then what happens? It turns out that they liquefy. I didn't know that. <laughs> so it, what you have here is it actually liquefies, becomes a goo, and then the DNA reconstructs and reconstitutes itself an entirely different body plan. Isn't that amazing? I didn't know that. And yeah. so the high, uh, metamorpho is b- best illustrated in the yeah, whole butterfly cycle, and so it's, it's certainly a rich... Re- 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 when mm-hmm. I had that, it was a, the three of us. How can you liquefy this goo and reconstruct? And now, instead of yeah. instead of this cute, funny-looking um, item that's a, a leaf-chewing uh, machine, right. it becomes a nectar-drinking wonder with yeah. millions yeah. of these little plates that become its, its yeah. wings, and it fills its wings with the vitality of the blood. And then, after that, then it, it has it. 
These are astonishing. So I, are that's why I say, really, oh, thank you. The best you can do is the Viet analog. Analog. Uh, the fact is, we don't. Oh, we, yeah. we can't even imagine what yeah, we will be right. like. It's going to be most that's impressive. Right. But the so, point is that oh, you uh, just you just hit something. Let me back. Slow okay, back. Okay. Because okay. evangelicals are very scared of that term of analogia and yeah. and, mm -hmm. and uh, via analogia. I yeah. think it's central to what it, it means. It is central to be a Christian. This is my problem that we yes. want to. Everything needs to be on this material plane where we can understand it in our terms. Our ethos because we're demanding it so we want to have the autocentric because at the end of the day authority has now become the um, autonomy of the uh, subjective self that's yeah. right we want, so we want yeah. control yeah. Yeah. so yeah. you have so, something to say yeah. <laughs> boy do I have stuff to say my job to frustrate my friend especially on the day before his ordination so one of the things that I may have said this on a podcast before but I think it bears repeating one of the things I've said a lot in my classes is that if you were able to bring a medieval forward, a medieval theologian or whatever forward, he would be real, and it would always be he. He would be really, really <laughs> impressed yeah. with how much we know with our technologies, sure. all of these kinds of things. But he would be absolutely baffled at the fact that we don't see the significance of any of it. No. That we, we are so one-dimensional in right. our thinking. He'd say, you know, you guys know a lot, but you understand nothing. nothing. Yeah. And and that that's the kind of thing that, that we're talking about here. Um, Steinmetz, uh, the, the uh, uh, historical theologian at Duke, uh, said that one of the biggest problems with uh, post-Reformation stuff is that, you know, in the Middle Ages, they believed that Scripture had multiple layers of meaning. We've reduced everything just to the literal, and the loss of this sense that scripture is much, much deeper than just the, the superficial, surface, literal meaning yeah. is one of the biggest losses that we've Literal has tended to be naturalistic rather, mm -hmm. rather yeah, yeah. than... And, oh, and, and then it became a materialist plane. And yeah. Essentially, then you are... Uh, Separated yourself from the the realm of transcendence before, by right, trying to right. re, re force everything to, from the imminent frame to be then projected upon scripture, but then it has no new, nuance, no mystery, no transcendence, no nothing that really goes beyond, and so we are uninformed as a consequence of that. But we didn't get to the third book. I'm still well, trying to yes. actually. <laughs> I want to. We, we have this problem I, every time. Can I want to mention book two B? <laughs> to be is um, to the book yeah, to be or not to be, but that book is um, called mm -hmm. uh, a guide to practicing God's presence. The oddest thing is, while we, as I say, mention Brother Lawrence, and we may those who know more may think about uh, Frank Lawback, and then also uh, maybe Thomas Kelly, the Testament Devotion. The point is, they're oddities. Oh, aren't they nice? Wouldn't it be nice? Nonsense. <laughs> that is the normal understanding. What's normal in Scripture is not is never typical. <laughs> but it needs to become such that it becomes our new norm, our new aspiration. And the point is, whatever you do in word or deed, you can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, so that there is splendor in the ordinary. And the whole idea then of transmuting the lead of the ordinary into the gold of the extraordinary by inviting Christ to be in that moment and to receive and to, and to know him, to love him, to have a, this, this whole idea of a child like the second naivete, because the first yeah, naivete, right. we have a certain understanding, but the second yeah. naivete is often lost because we get knowledge and so forth, but then we fail, fail to grasp, grasp true wisdom. Mm. The second naivete is a childlike sense of wonder and awe. So you have wonder, you have gratitude, and you have hope. Mm. And those three really animate us because it's in the context of adversity. This really brings us to the third book, Shaped by Suffering. I thought 
my title was, I thought, pretty good, but they came up with a better one. It's one of the rare cases where you... <laughs> because I based it... After, that book was based upon a teaching series I did in First Peter, hmm. which is the Job in the New Testament, and all five chapters allude to suffering. But the this essential uh, verse in that book is First Peter 5.10. After you have suffered for a little while, that was going to be my title. Notice two points. It's not if. It's after. Mm. Suffering is not an elective in the university right, of life. It's right. a required course. But how mm. long for a little while? Mm -hmm. the, again, the momentary light, uh, mm. you know, affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparisons. And, and Paul says in Romans 8, I consider the suffering of this present time not even worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. So that eternal perspective then contextualizes the adversity and shows how brief it is. But I ask, my, I ask people this question when I'm teaching on this. I ask them, what are the qualities you most admire in heroic men and women? Whether in scripture or in, in, the, in, in history in general. Right. And they'll always come up with the same list. Which ones do you think we, the, the audience will come up with? You can know. Which ones will a typical audience come up with? And, these, and they're right, every one of them. What are the qualities that people would most admire? Any of them? Well, I guess courage. Courage is always there. Mm -hmm. What's another one? Perseverance. Perseverance. Trials. In the midst of trials. In the midst of trials. Yes, in the midst of setbacks. How come he holds up instead of folding up? Mm -hmm. And then what's another besides those? Well, we have integrity. We, yeah, ha we, yeah. have cur we, we have um, a sense, again, of humility and a variety of things. And then I, we're going to ask you that. And here's the obvious point. Where am I going? Are any of those qualities we most admire ever forged in times of ease? And the answer is never. 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 never not right. once. Right. Therefore, I yeah. use this metaphor. After you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Now there's your alchemy of grace. The, the, it is the, it is the, uh, the, the philosopher's stone is the grace of God that transmutes the lead of suffering into the gold of glory. And so it's necessary and needful because otherwise we will not become the people we need to become. It's a soul-forming world. Yeah. And, and, and this, I mean, just, just on the, you know, kind of the metaphysics of suffering, I mean, you, you're dealing there with this place in which you are forced back upon absolute dependence. What, what are you losing in Precisely. suffering but control? Right. Which is what you need. Sovereignty. Yeah. Right? And it, it, how many people, I know, I could list, I could name, and, and myself included, how many people came to, to know God um, through the kind of suffering that forced one to realize you weren't God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You weren't God. You weren't Kantian man, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah, you you weren't the that. center That's of right. all things. Yeah. You didn't you didn't have dominance over suffering comes in you know, it's like you know, it's that you hear people they come uh, come upon a disease or something out of nowhere. Christopher Hitchens, right, yeah. knocks yes, yes. them right out of nowhere. Right, right. You know, and, and you know they may kind of try to show courage in the face of it, but but in the end, you know, existentially, they are aware they are not God at that yeah, point. Right. They have no options. They have no options. So it forces you there. But then there's this 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 was always been almost you know kind of a profound beauty. This comes out of my my, my mom's line, the, the Lutheran tradition. Who focused always on? They have a beautiful hymnody of uh, of Gerhardt, um, which which um, which often talked about the way in which after Christ says, you know, Father, your will be done, embraces the suffering, but the joy set before him. Mm -hmm. So here is one who that courage took on a distinct form of joy 
Mm-hmm. That has always been a profound thing, that the way in which a Christian can embrace. You often think of some of the martyrs who kind of rejoiced at yes. being yes. the yes. early yes. martyrs. Yes. It's a fierce joy. A fierce joy, mm. which is something inexplicable in terms of context, mm. um, other than uh, their, de- you know, their deep connectedness to yeah. the eternal. Well, this yeah. kind of gets that's us right. to, to, right. to wisdom again. Yeah. Because there's a kind of wisdom that's not uh, kind of... Uh, uh, you know the form that doesn't take the form that uh, we find expressed in the academy. The forms of the kind of, but you know, I, I, some of the wisest people I've known in my life have been people who have had very little formal education. Yes, but uh, they, they're wise in the school of life. That's right. They, they've yeah. endured mm-hmm. and they've experienced the kind of alchemy that you just That's described. Right. That's right. So, I think. Uh, you no, know, this brings up the question in my own mind. Here we are. You know, we like to talk about ideas, mm-hmm. um, and we like to engage in you know the, the the apologetic task. How does the how does that relate to what we just described? Mm-hmm. Yes, because you're dealing now with people who are embedded in the rough and tumble of life itself, and uh, and they are learning hard-earned wisdom that most people do not gain because they actually are forced to the school of adversity, the the the, the severe mercies of God to drive them to grace and to cause them to realize it's never been about them. And so this trans, this, this movement, this Copernican revolution, in this case not from a geocentric solar system, but from an egocentric mindset to a Christocentric and theocentric understanding that I am not the center of the universe, that it, that it revolves around him, that all things were come from him and through him and to, and to him. And therefore, as you rightly were alluding to, all uh, dis- evil is disordered love. It's, it's a yes. distortion. As, Su- as Lewis beautifully put it, remember in the screw tape letters, our mm. father below has never been able to create a, a pleasure. <laughs> he can only cause the humans to use the enemy's pleasures in the wrong, wrong amounts for the wrong reasons in right, the right, yeah. wrong time. So, again, the idea of the Augustinian notion of disordered love is yeah. of, about things that are not as they're... So they need to be reshifted, reoriented mm. to find their true orientation. They'll only be found when you lose yourself and find him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Artist restless. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm exactly right. I'm actually going to go back to your book. There's right. a shock. Um, what a shock that is. Yeah. The, the thing, but we've been bouncing around it. Yeah, I, I read a pre-pub version of it. Um, yes, you did. And the thing that I found really remarkable about it is that I think that for most people, most evangelicals, when they look at suffering, they say this is the result of the fall. You know, it, it, it's all a product of sin. And in essence, as soon as you say that... Mm-hmm. It implies that it's meaningless. Hmm. The thing that was remarkable I found about your book is it said, in essence, yeah, you know what, suffering it, it may very well be the result of the fall, but it is anything but hmm. meaningless it, uh, because anything but because God uses yeah, it. The very title, shaped by suffering. Exactly. So. God uses it to produce character to to produce changes in us 
to reduce us to goo so that we can emerge as butterflies. That's a, that's a great metaphor. Mm. And the and, I, and, yeah. you know, so I'd, I'd like you to talk a little no, bit about that idea. It, again, it is, it is the, the, the path of downward mobility where you discover your true life by losing your own. And so the brokenness, mm. and the, very little authentic ministry is achieved apart from brokenness as well. So this is the other, right, another right. dynamic of mm. that. So apart, apart from that, this his, his, again, I say to people that God's far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. Mm. He's much more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. And so here we, we try to somehow put together this American gospel, this idea of the gospel, the word faith gospel, and all that nonsense right, right. of possess, confess and possess. Blab it and grab it. Believe and receive. Yeah, yeah. Claim, claim, name it, claim it, and frame it. There's all kinds of. Yeah. <laughs> it always rhymes. Yeah. Always they rhyme. have to rhyme. It's always important that these things rhyme. These little, these little. It's rhythmic. Maybe they're better at marketing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's that's the whole thing. And it, it becomes a kind of a marketing uh, ploy. And at the end of the day, people supposing that God's there for their uh, their work and. The, for their for their well-being, so that's where people don't know how to pray very well because they're much more. I think of most people's prayers prayers almost like strategy sessions between themselves and God, where they uh, tell God what their best interests look like and then give him generous suggestions as, as to how and when to pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, yeah. that's not yeah, a well, prayer. That, that was my God. That would help right now. <laughs> no, your will be done. Let me see. Right. It's about recalibrating mine with His, and that's why Dallas Willard was right at the beginning when every. Every morning, he would slowly say those magical words, Our Father, who in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So it's about your name, your your reputation, the, your you, will. You, you hit it right on the nose. Same thing I'm doing with theology. I yeah, even right. do it with my students at yeah. USJ, my Catholic students. Said, what is the first commandment? Love God first above all things. I said, why? Does God need that? Every, at first, they're like, yeah. And I'm like... No. No. <laughs> no. God is the infinite, perfect being. God doesn't need your love first. God is not augmented by you. Yeah, God's it's not for like, you. That's right. God's so, not like sitting there wondering, what, I, will they pay attention to me today? Will they pay attention? And then what I tell them... Hopefully they're making an offering. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> this, is, this is the language they understand. So they understand language of love. They're like right. undergrads, right? I right, said, right. If, you, if, you are, if you are oriented to love itself the right way then your loves are ordered the rest of the way. That's correct. So what happens first? You love God first. Why? Because God is the infinite source of all. God is love itself for you undergrads. Love itself. Love in its perfection. You all want love. We're all looking for love. This is love. Orient yourself that way. And guess what? What's the next commandment? Love your your neighbor neighbor as itself. Yourself. Your neighbor is a gift now. It's not someone you utilize for your own agenda. And I said, I know, we all have loves. I said, how many of you people think that religion has to do with beliefs? Is that, you know, they all raise their hands. No, it has to do with the way you order your loves the right way. That's correct. In light of what you value most. I said, for example, you love money most. You're going to order your loves that way. So how are you going to relate to your neighbor? You're going to relate to your neighbor in such a way as you get money, right? It's utilitarian. Mm Mm-hmm. Christianity is not like that. It's not a utilitarian relation with God because God doesn't need your love. It's not, therefore, on the pragmatic. Mm-hmm. It is completely for the creation. Mm-hmm. But when we order ourselves, Romans, 
when we didn't receive God the right way, orient ourselves the right way, thanksgiving and gratitude, what happens? God gives us over and our loves become perverse. Mm-hmm. And then the disorder happens. Mm-hmm. And so idolatry is the very thing the gospel comes in to get a hold of. It weans us off the idols, purifies our desires, and brings us back to ordering our loves the right okay. way. So our Father who is in heaven is our first we prayer. Go. We go. And then the middle of it you get. God, as we take up your cause... Remember our cause. Right. Give us this day our daily bread. Right. Yeah. Everything yeah. begins and ends with him, though. So if I essentially am saying that it's uh, your, uh, hallowed be your name, not my little reputation. Yeah. Right. Your kingdom come, not my little fiefdom. <laughs> right. Your will be done, not my little uh, I desires. And then I begin to ele- realize that when I am giving that, then I discover my true self after all, because it's only going to be found in him and losing the self. So every day there has to be this replacement, as it was, from an egocentric mindset. It's our natural gravity. It's worth noting that there is one specific place where Jesus prayed, your will be done. Right. It was in Gethsemane. Yes, it right. was. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it went, your will be done, not mine. That's correct. And that's really the, the essence of, the what end of the that, day, that prayer what came down. is about. And in his case, it meant crucifixion. Right. Yes. Well, th- this actually brings me to something I wanted to get into a little bit. Sure. You know, I, when I hear people bring up Brother Lawrence, you know, practicing sure. the presence of God, I think that most people, when they hear that, they have this sense of this sort of super spiritual right. aura. They suppose that, sort of, that this is only for the very few. Right. Or that it, it, it requires such a, a you, know, you mentioned intentionality, I'm, I'm fully on board with what you said, but the, a, such a, a unity of focus that the person almost seems unreal. Yes, yes. So I want to bring in something that's kind of out of left field, but I think relates to this. So, you know, in the history of philosophy, you know, there are, the, there are people who think that virtue is only, can only be de- de- described as virtue if it's overcoming your sort of reluctance to do the right thing. Kant would be an example. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. duty has zero right. sort of self-interest. In, yeah. in right. sort of in, yeah. So yeah. you've got to overcome and force yourself to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. But then it's, uh, another way of thinking is the more Aristotelian way of thinking where you acquire kind of a second nature. That's right. And, you, and it sort of just comes, it doesn't come naturally to you in the sense that this is how you were born, yeah. but that through a discipline, that now your affections have been retrained. That's correct. And now you actually long for things that you didn't long for by nature. That's right. And that's actually what I talk about a good deal of in the uh, Life in the Presence of God, the neuroplasticity and the whole idea of our capacity for us to get create mu- muscle memory. In this case, though, spiritual memory. The memory is not in the muscle at all, but it's in the myelin sheets that actually um, surround neural pathways so that neurons mm. are fired together, wired together. So the more you engage in right practice. Now, perfect practice makes perfect. Not practice. Yeah. Perfect practice That's makes perfect. So it is, it's not trying, it's training. And it's not time, it's intention. Now it's possible for you to do, because Kelly was right, we can order our minds in two levels simultaneously. We've been designed that. We're amphibious beings. Of course we can. But it's training and habituation because your capacity as a spiritual being is as great as the latency, but it's not actually actualized in this world without training. Whereas our by default mechanism is the material, the visible, the palpable, the tangible. Yeah. The other can be trained, but after a while becomes equally ultimate as you continue to habituate. And after a while you integrate heaven and earth in all things so you can bring out the garbage to the glory of God. 
Right. Everything right. you do then matters. Everything. Well, now, are you conscious of that? The you whole become time? more. Well, there's two kinds of, uh, of of aspects of his presence. One is a habitual presence, mm -hmm. and one is a re uh, is a uh, is a realized presence. Or one is habitual, and one is actual. So, actual recollection has to do with more or less a consciousness. But a habitual yeah. is this is my disposition. I, for example, am Karen's husband wherever I go. I've been married to her that long. That's who I am. No, I don't have to be consciously aware of it, yeah. but that's a part of my identity. Structure. But I think that's where some people get sort of, uh, you know, puzzled when it comes to something like practicing the present. Sure, God. yeah. Because they think of the second instead of the first. They do. So, and, yeah. yeah. And sometimes they often, especially, uh, you know, the Reformed world, they often th see this as, as they call it, uh, as a sort of, um, you know, the, the, the taking of the habit of grace and sort of cultivating a spirituality that isn't gift all the way down. And that's not what's being done no, here. No, no, no. This is exactly the same things that Colossians is talking that's about. Right. Because you understand who you are in him, you are now freed through these practices mm -hmm. to do this. Whatever these practices do, yeah. are the form of what the baptismal life, as yes, I say. That's, that's right. Putting the death to putting on Christ. Right. Putting the death to putting on Christ. So the, the, what is being retrained then is the, reor the refashioning right. of our being towards God and the glory of God, and, and as, you know, as even Edwards would say, sort of God for God's own sake. For his own, yeah. And I always tell somebody, just something you hit on earlier, and a lot of people miss this, is that uh, when, when the call to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow him, and it is even called a martyrdom, it's to love God as God, as the pearl of great price. Yes. As God is, God is the object of ultimate desire. Yes. So that even my own life in comparison, is able to. Yes. Yeah, we're so, we afraid we're going to have to sort of oh, come in. We're going to do a second show. We're going to do another show. <laughs> I want so, to talk about the, the fact that the heart um, f uh, make, makes room for what it treasures. And so uh, essentially then um, it becomes more conformed to that by that to which we aspire. That's a great teaser for next week. There we go. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm so going to throw, throw in one more teaser. Sure. I love book 2B. The, the second part that wasn't really an IV book, it, the, that's a Reflections book. Because what it includes is 104 different practices that you can use to try to, um, to move toward this idea of practicing God's presence. And it's set up so that you, you, you try two of them a week for a year, keep track of which ones work and which ones don't, so that at the end of the year you have a guide to what works and what doesn't work for you in developing this kind of sense. Ken hasn't really given that book um, the, the uh, description, the, the, well, the, the credit that, frankly, I think it deserves. Well, so, let's make that the theme so. of the next show. Let's, let's, let's get into that. But we've been talking a little bit about it. I think we've just scratched the surface of the book, Shaped by Suffering, which has just come out from University Press, and it looks great. I've not had a chance to read it. I know you read a... Uh, you know, a, uh, uh, an advanced review copy, uh, Glenn. But uh, anyway, well, we're really glad that you could be with us, Ken, and we're going to have you for another show. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway, uh, anything you want to say as we close, Tom? 
lot to say, but I'll save it for the next, next show. show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we, we appreciate your, uh, your, uh, your listening to the Theology Podcast. We really do, uh, uh, you know, we don't take you for granted, I should say. Uh, we do appreciate the fact that there are literally thousands of people out there who tune in every week to, to our shows, and, and, and we can't take any credit for it. We just are as surprised as anybody. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye now.